How's it going, everyone? This is Jared. I am back with the Halt Resume Podcast. I am here with a previous options trader, uh, current director of a tier one esports. May not be well known, but um, a great guy from what I understand. I don't understand a lot, but we'll find out later. Uh, Energy Joe, how's it going? Yo, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing good. Uh, so we talked a little before this, went over the general structure of the podcast, but uh, just just who are you? Yeah, yeah. So my name's uh, Joe Pokeshiva. You know, I'm 28, going to be 29 here in shit, like a week come Sunday, I think. You're 20. You're about to be 29. Yeah. But I'm getting oh, old, you've done man. way more with your life than I have. <laughs> I'm getting old, man. <laughs> 26? Old. What do you mean? Dude, I, let me tell you, like from 25 to 29 is just like a, not like a blur, but just it went quick like the last three years of my life or four years of my life have been some of the fat like it literally just before my eyes you know i blinked once and fuck i'm, I'm 29 from 25 i'm like holy hell but it's uh it's been an interesting journey to to kind of get where i'm at um you know uh that's for sure it's been a, a very interesting and wild ride so let's walk through this ride here um yeah so, so. i know you from finance or from options the green yes. wall street yes yes so you know, taking a big, giant step back, you know, I, growing up, kind of really didn't have any idea what I wanted to do as most kids in high school. And I was an athlete, and I thought I was going to go pro in sports, and, you know, that's everybody's dream. You know, when you're in fifth grade, you pull out your yearbook, and on there, you had to write what you thought you were going to be when you grow up. I'm like, I'm going to be a professional hockey player, da-da-da-da, I'm going to be fucking the next Wayne Gretzky, and sure enough, none of, that, <laughs> none of that shit ends up panning out. So... Um, you know, it, it was interesting, you know, kind of how I've gotten to here. So, you know, after high school, going into college, you know, I've, I've always considered myself to be fairly intelligent, right? And, you know, I've always been kind of though that person that like, if you're gonna, if I have to go to school and learn about something, and it's not something I want to learn about, I literally just don't give a shit, which I feel like is like a lot of people in this world, but you just kind of have to suffer through all the BS. But um, I ended up going, you know, to Northern Illinois University in college, and it just, it wasn't for me. <laughs> I joined a fraternity, I just drank a lot, I partied a lot, um, you know, and it just, I was doing gen eds in class, and I was like, dude, this is, this just fucking sucks. Like, I'm, I'm spending money, and I have no interest in, in learning any of this shit. Like, I just, I fucking hate it. Like, I I think I just want to learn about how to run a business and, and do marketing. And I just like, I was so into business at the time. Like, I just want to figure out how to run it and understand it. And, you know, I've always been really good with numbers my entire life. So, you know, I'm the kid that falls asleep in math class. They wake me up and they say, hey, look at the board, give me an answer. And I fucking could come up with it. So, you know, I've always liked numbers and math. So naturally um, I kind of gravitated towards trying to understand like what the stock market was after, after college. So, you know, I needed money. Uh, more than anything else. So I leave school and I start working as a mechanic, believe it or not. Um, I was always into cars as a kid. My dad was super into cars. My uncle used to have a funny car and they used to race it. Um, so, you know, I, that's kind of how I grew up and I was super mechanically inclined. And I'm like, you know what, you know, as I'm trying to learn different things about the market or, you know, reading up on stuff and trying to teach myself different things, either about business, because I was just like, I'm just going to bury myself in books that I'm interested in reading or I'm going to do some research online and figure out what I want to do. Um, you know, I was like, I need to make some money, obviously. So I started working as a mechanic. I did that for like, you know, two years. And then I was like, all right, well, 
had enough of that. <laughs> um, it was a lot of hard work, you know, it was, it, I, it was, I was really good at it. I was like, but mechanics don't get paid nearly as enough. And I'm, I'm a person that's super financially motivated as, as you, as you are, you know, it's, you know, I want to be able to live my kind of life. And in order to do that, believe it or not, you need fucking money. I don't care what anybody tells you. You have to have cash. Um, that's nah, just going to go is. with the wind, go with <laughs> yeah. the wind, do whatever. Yeah. No, no. Uh, the world revolves around money, right? Right. And that's just how it always has been. And, you know, there's people that decide they want to be, you know, like to me, the unsung heroes of our entire world are teachers because they get paid absolutely nothing and they have to teach, you know, kids. And, you know, that was something I never wanted to do because I wanted money. But, um, you know, that's just the way the world works. It's just kind of how it is, I guess. So I uh, ended up, you know, getting really into fitness at the time, too. And I decided, you know, fuck it, I'm going to go do some personal training. So I'm still kind of just figuring out my own life, really have no idea what I want to do. I go from school to being a mechanic to being a personal trainer. And um, I got I was really good at that, too. I was like, Yeah, you know, this is fun. I did that for a little while. And then, um, you know, as it turns out, I ended up getting my first like real job, which I don't even put on my resume anymore to be, to be honest with you, because it's like so irrelevant. I started working for ADP automatic data processing. And they do payroll, right? And I started yeah, selling. I, I, they're what, like the largest payroll yeah. company in America? The ones that put out the report, the reports, you know, that we all love to look at on the, you know, on uh, market trading days at the end of the week. So, you know, the week, <laughs> all that fun shit. So, <laughs> I end up getting a job with them, and I'm probably what, twenty four, maybe, right? So I haven't made shit being a mechanic and personal trainer. You don't make anything. Um, no, but you made a jump in your life from 24 to 29. Yeah, just wait. Yeah, it's it's pretty crazy to see how far I've come. That's why I said it. It's five, five, four or five years. So I get like my first job at ADP and I'm, I'm making okay money. And like, you know, they start you out of $40,000. And if you sell, you know, enough payroll throughout the year, your, your commission is going to end up being about 10 grand, but it's not capped. You can make as much as you want. Well, I started out really good. You know, I had was like the fastest in the region to sell like eight units and or close to it. I went up with the men and getting pulled back. So I didn't technically break the record, but I still give myself it and all of this stuff. And I'm like, Oh, this is good. And then I was like this, you know, it, it sucked. Like it wasn't a fun job. I'm selling fucking payroll. Who wants to do that their whole life? You know, some people do and good for them. They make a ton of money and they're fine with it. I personally just, I didn't like it. Um, but I needed cash. So what I started doing was I started, um, I said, you know what? I feel like in this world, people can just, they fake a lot of shit. Like I've seen, some people get hired at that when I was at ADP that had no right selling anything because they couldn't fucking talk. And when you sell, you have to talk. You have to be good at being ta- being able to talk. You have to be personable. So I was like, I feel like a lot of people just fake shit. Like, then, so fuck it. Why don't I fake some stuff until I make it, right? Fake it until you make it. Fuck it. So I started flubbing <laughs> um, that I had been working in marketing for like two years and that I worked for marketing for ADP instead of actually doing sales. But there's some marketing intact and I just kind of flubbed some of my resume around. And I was like, you know what? I just need someone, you know, I need to just kind of stretch the truth a bit on the resume um, and, and, and get a marketing job. Like I, that's what I want to do. That's my way into the, in the business world. Um, and you know, that's what I'm going to do. So I'm downtown in the city of Chicago, and this is where it gets interesting, right? I'm downtown. I'm still working at ADP, and uh, I'm in an Uber, and I had been drinking that night. It's probably like I don't know midnight, so it's not even that late. But I, you know, I had a couple of drinks, had a nice dinner, and I'm uh, just sitting there, and I'm, I'm talking with um, uh, one of my friends um, in the back seat, and we're just talking about like my job and kind of what I want to be. And I was like, you know, my uncle always told me that when I was young, like when I was like eight, nine, 10 years old, that when you grow up, make sure you learn how the stock market works, you know, 
you know, passive money is what make is going to make you millions. It's not your salary. And he used to tell me that at a young age, my uncle Bobby all the time. And I always remembered it. Like, it's one of those things that he just said randomly. For some reason, it always just kind of stuck with me. Like, okay, in order to be financially free um, in life, you need money, right? As we've been saying. So I'm like, he's like, follow the stock market, like learn how it works. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I start talking about that in the car and I'm, I'm in this Uber. And I'm like, yeah, no, I've, I really would love to get into finance more and just like really get, you know, start just taking a stranglehold now that I got some more relative experience um, you know, and, and just like maybe get into finance, like in a marketing capacity. Cause I really don't really know how to trade too well and stuff yet. Um, but I really want to learn more. And that's like the best thing to do. And as I'm talking, this guy in the front seat, that's driving stops. goes, Hey, you want, you said you want to get into finance, right? He's like, yeah. He's like, all right. He's like, he's like, I worked in finance for a long time. And I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, so you, what, what are you just like retired now? He's like, no, he's like, I'm just bored. And I was like, you're bored. He's like, yeah, he's like, yeah. I'm, he's like, I'm financially free. I'm, I'm just fucking bored. And he's like, and I like interacting with people. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. I'm like, well, what did you do? He's like, oh, I traded options. I'm like, options? I'm like, what the fuck is an options? Um, and he's like, well, it's 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 a way to kind of, the way he phrased it, I'll never forget. He's like, it's a way to make money on the stock market. And I go, that's really in depth. Thank you for letting me know that's, that's what it is. And he, he started laughing. He's like, he's like, think of this. He's like, do you, do you play sports? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, do you watch sports? I'm like, yeah. He goes, have you ever bet on sports? I'm like, fuck yeah. He goes, it, that's what options is. I said, what, betting on sports? He goes, no, betting on the stock market. You're, instead that of you betting on it, too. you're betting on which way the stock market's going to go. And I was like, really? Oh, really good way to put it. Right? And I was like, okay, I get it. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I was like, all right, cool, 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 cool. Uh, I, I'm going to look into this. And he keeps telling me, he's like, yeah. He's like, make sure that he's like, he's like, go online. And he's like, I want you to go get, go get this book called Options as a Strategic Investment. And I was like, okay. Um, and what is that book about? He goes, it's all about options. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, give it a read and start learning what options are. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. Um, I, you know, I'll do that. And sure enough, I didn't get the book. <laughs> as much as he told me to, I kind of just, I kind of shrugged it off. I was like, eh, as an Uber driver. It is what it is, um, you know, I, whatever, right? And, you know, I didn't, because I, I'm pretty sure when I, when I ended up going and looking up that book, you know, Options to Strategic Investment is like that old school book from a long time ago. If I'm remembering right what book it is, um, you might have to correct me here because I never actually No, I just it. looked it up. It, 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 it looks like there may be a few different editions, but it's all that old style of like before the internet was a thing before youtube was a thing here's how you learn something yeah yeah and i, I could have swore that they're like i'm almost positive that is the one that that everyone like deems as the bible of options trading yeah it is i just looked it up to double check i'm like all right everyone always said that's the this book and it's fucking long it's a big ass book it's like over a thousand pages and that's what turned me on i'm like i'm not reading that shit like but this guy had told me like that he was financially free. So I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to figure out what options are. We got Google now. I don't need to read a book. I'm going to go figure out what it is. <laughs> so during that time, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what all this option shit is. I happen to see this job pop up because I started searching for options jobs on like Indeed and shit, right? And this is like back in, I don't know, maybe 2005-ish, maybe 2005, 2000, oh, no, 2015, 2016, sorry. Oh, um, no, I was about to say, I'm like, you yeah. are not much older than young, me. Yeah, I'd be like super young. I was like 2015, 2016-ish. And uh, I was like, okay, cool. So 
I, I start researching and I start looking for these jobs, right? Because I'd always said, like, I want to do marketing, right? I, I'm going to flood my resume a little bit, make it look like I've done some more marketing than I have. Um, and fuck it, you know, let's see what's out there. So I end up finding this job for a company called Regal Securities, and they own an options trading platform called eOption. And basically what their platform was and how they differed from all the other options trading platforms, what they were just dirt cheap when it comes to commissions. Like you're paying like fucking a dollar. Right. You're there were commissions back then. Well, you, yeah, you had to pay. Yeah. You still had to pay to make your trades like per lag. Right. So E options claim to fame was just it's cheaper. They're good. They 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 offered, you know, 10 cents per option contract. Right. It's not bad. So just cheap. That's it. You're, you're not going to spend much. So you know, me at the time, I'm like, oh, that's that's cool. So I apply and I send them my resume. Now, <laughs> I'm not thinking anything's going to happen from this, but I ended up getting a call. And then they're like, oh, yeah, like, you know, work for ADP, do some marketing. We're trying to hire like a marketing manager. You know, what, you know, what do you, what do you know, you know, about uh, finance and options? And I just pretty much started explaining to them what options were <laughs> right off like a Google page because I really didn't know. Too <laughs> That's much about the way to them. go, man. Right? I'm saying like, oh, yeah, it's a vehicle, da, 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 da. And you, you said that, you know, you know, it's like betting on the stock. And I used it with that guy in the Uber said to me, I was like, yeah, it's like betting on sports, but on the stock market, you know, if I think it's going to go up, I'm going to get a call option. I think it's going to go down. I'm going to get a put option. Like I know how it works. You know, I've traded them. I've dabbled. Um, and they're like, and I hadn't at that time. I'd never trained an option in my life. And um, they're like, oh, that's cool. So I go in for an interview. <clears throat> you know, it ends up taking like three months, but I end up getting the job and I'm going to be this marketing manager for e-option, right? And start figuring out. So at e-option, they were working with this, um, uh, company called Flammarion and this company named called Flammarion was run by Peter Zhang and Charlie Bathgate. And they were big options trader guys and investment and financial guys, young guys, like young, like, m like probably no older, like two or three years older than me. <clears throat> and, um, you know, they were consulting for them, like helping them with how to market their platform to people because they understood the space well. So they had a training course on options through their other company that they owned, like Flammarion was their consulting company. The other company they owned was called Sanglucci, right? And Sanglucci is also a person uh, that we call Lucci, who's a big trader in the space. And him and Wall Street Jesus have their own steam room and chat room. And they had their own this intro to options course. So they sent it to me. And, I, and that's what I started taking. That's when I started really learning options um, was through like their courses. And then, you know, as since I was kind of new and that's the person I was the type of person they're gearing towards their class for, they started giving me all the other shit, like their master classes and all this. And I just started soaking it all up because it was a video class and, and Lucci broke stuff down on a whiteboard and explained stuff. And then he showed his like portfolio, he showed options. He did you know, tape reading, live tape reading sessions and all this stuff. And they taught how they trade options. And the way they trade options is through flow. Right. I know everyone, they like Lucci doesn't even, I don't even think that guy has a technical on his fucking map. Maybe RSI, maybe some other stuff. One of those people. It's like nothing like me. Like I, if you look at my fucking charts, you'd be like, this is literally just, this is useless. And I'd be like, this is all I need. This is literally. I mean, we're the dead opposite though. I am a technical trader. Right. I'm not. I don't trade at technicals because the way the, and the reason they said it now, granted, they, they know there's a million different ways to trade and there's some good setup stuff like that. And they probably still dabble with it. But his whole viewpoint was everyone and their mother has technicals. So if the technicals are so great, why doesn't everybody make money? 
And which was, it's, it's a great question. That's a great point too, though. And it's, and it's a good point. He's like, so he's like, we don't do that. He's like, I know that there's bigger people in this market that know more than me or have an insight on something. And he's like, and I want to follow their trades if I can. So we're going to monitor flow and figure it out. So they built this proprietary algorithm to kind of fish stuff out through trade alert that they've kind of built with trade alert to figure out different types of, you know, sweeps that are happening in the market. And then they post them in their trading room. And now granted, not all of those sweeps as you know, are something you're going to go and do like, just because someone decides that they want to put a fucking 300 K bet on the spy going up fucking five points. doesn't mean you're just going to blindly follow them. But if you see millions of dollars start going up on that line over a five minute period, there's probably something going to happen and it might, your risk lowers. So let's go in. Doesn't mean it's going to be a perfect trade, but something's happening, right? And, and that's kind of how they traded. And there's a lot more into it. There's tape reading. There's a bunch well, of shit. But- I mean, you and I had the conversation in Green Wall Street. Uh, we, You have a thesis before you go into a trade, oh, no matter 100%. what. Absolutely. You don't just make a trade based on a sweep or whatever. Yeah. So, like, if I if I see, like, for me as a technical trader, when you would post the sweeps and I saw, like, a trend that I really liked happening and forming, I'm like, yo, I feel more confident doing this it's rather than, like, yeah, it right. makes me feel better. Right. It's, it's a validator. And to be honest with you, I think the best way to trade is probably have technical setups and understand how those work and then utilize flow as validation. Like me, when I go in, you know, I don't really use technicals too much. I use some basic stuff because I'm not in positions for very long, but um, you know, I'm, I'm almost completely off flow and I'm by all means an average option trader. I'm not some fucking person that's, you know, just the greatest on the entire planet. There are a are you billion profitable is the question. Yeah. I'm profitable. I'm better profitable. than everybody else, but I'm, but I'm also very, I don't take a lot of risk when I trade. Like I don't trade that often. Like now I'm just super busy, but when I was doing it a lot back then, like I really didn't trade that often, uh, which is something they kind of taught, you know, in the beginning I I would just trade one option contract, right. And try to learn and make it cheap. And it would just be in some weekly bullshit. Right. And I would trade it within, I get rid of it that same day. Right. And that's how I'd learn. And, um, you know, so I'm, I'm going back, like I'm working free option and I'm learning from these guys and, I started picking up option trading really quick. And and Peter over there, he was like, you know, I, I started trading. He's like, how are you doing? And I sent him a screenshot of my account. And he's like, whoa. He's like, you're doing really well. And I was like, yeah, like this is really isn't that hard. And he started fucking cracking up. He's like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, do this for a year. Then come back to me and tell me that this isn't fucking hard. He's like, you're doing good. He goes, take some of that pocket it, save it. He's like, trust me. And I said, okay. But, um, you know, I started doing that. I started to get really into it. And then it helped me obviously be able to market the platform. Now, the problem with the option as a company was they're like old, you know, no offense to them. And I doubt they'll find, find this podcast, but if they happen to, <laughs> hurt, I love man. you guys. Thank you so much. No, not that I'm just saying that they're not people that probably listen to podcasts is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> um, you know, if they do, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean to slander you guys. Like you guys are fucking great. The percentage of the people that gave me a start, to get to where I'm at today, because if you didn't or ADP and you didn't, I don't think I'd get where I'm at um, as, as we'll, we'll get to, but um, you know, they're like old, just like the old school, like I, their office was in a bank, like an old bank out in Glenview, Illinois. And everyone wore like dress clothes to work all day, like in the back room, which is where the offices were like, like, well, not really offices, I guess, but like the CEO had an office, the COO and president had an office, like they're the head of like a finance kind of had an office. And then like all of the support people and like the traders and the stuff like that, that were giving out, like helping people, they all were just lined up in a big fucking like long desk. Like think about taking just a bunch of big ass tables, long rectangular tables and putting them side by side in a room, like six of them. 
and then just putting people next to him with computers. And that's how they had everybody together. And I was like, I could never work like that. I, I don't, I hate like an open concept office like that, like three people fine, but not everyone working and typing. I'd be fucking thinking. So I had my own office, which was great. Uh, but I started, you know, I started, uh, you know, working and understanding that I started options more. Like I started to get pretty good at helping them build other things. And, you know, like one of the things that they had their, their online account opening process this is how old school they were was paper. Then open an account, you had to do it with paper. You, you, you couldn't, you couldn't do it online. Or, and if you tried to do like, you could do like a fill, but it still had to be like sent in. So we ended up doing a whole new website. And then we ended up doing, I did an entire new online account opening process. And it still was still slow, even after doing it all online, because they still had to go in and do it. Like it was never instant, all this. I'm like, so it was just like an old school way of doing it. And there was no way they were going to get market share. I knew as soon as I got there and learned how options work, there was no way they were going to get market share. One, the platform sucks. Um, I don't know if it's gotten any better, um, but two, they just, there's just no, no way that they're going to compete with the big giants of the world um, in, in the option space, especially when it comes to trading. It just won't happen. Um, so I was like, yeah, whatever. And they moved slow. So as time went by, I'd be working and like, I wouldn't have anything to do. So I literally, no joke. And I hope to God they don't hear this. I brought my fucking Xbox to work. <laughs> I had my own office and I literally played like the entire Assassin's Creed in like two days, the first game and started playing video games in the office. Cause I had fucking nothing to do. And I, I had all the shit I wanted to do and I had it all mapped out and I had plans. I couldn't get approvals for it. So it was just slow. Right. So I knew That's that the I should, I like to hear I started playing fucking Xbox in the office <laughs> and then other times <laughs> I just wouldn't even fucking show up. I was so I, a couple times I didn't even fucking show up and let them know that I was there. They had no idea. I tested it. I was like, I wonder if they'd even know if I'm here because no one ever knocked on my door to see if I was in my office and it's, it's, it was closed and there's no windows. So one day I decided I'm not going to show up and I'm going to see what happens. And nobody fucking no one had any idea I wasn't there. It's was hilarious. Um, I only did that once because I'm not a fucking lazy piece of shit, but um, it was it was interesting because that's just how old they were. So, you know, moving forward, Peter from Flamarian ends up saying, hey, I got this new job in Chicago. I'm moving from New York to Chicago. I'm like, oh, it's cool for a company called Halo Investing. And I'm like, ah, what's that? He's like, oh, it's structured notes. It's a little bit different than options, but has some options to it, like has some structured notes. I'm like, oh, OK, uh, that's interesting. And I'm like, what's up? He goes, well, you know, do you want to run marketing for them? I'm like. You tell me I can get out of this fucking shithole. He's like, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, absolutely. He's like, all right, I'll introduce you to the CEO and the president. You'll have some meetings with them. And he's like, you know, I'm going to put in a massive recommendation for you. Let's go. I'm like, okay. So, you know, I end up leaving eOption and um, going to Halo Investing and, you know, start working for them on the marketing side and all that. And, you know, it was, a, it was a good gig. Like they have a good product and they're probably gonna make a shit ton of money doing what they're doing. They essentially are taking structured notes and making online platforms where people can go and buy them. Um, and they're pretty complex instruments, but they like try to simplify them. Um, and they're like getting into a bunch of banks and they're gonna use them to go and sell their structured notes through and all of that. And they're they're run by two brilliant people and Jason Barsima and then Biju, Biju Kalathakul. Um, Both of them are brilliant. And it was, it was a great gig, but Pete ended up leaving there after like six months. And then, you know, me, I was like, I, I liked it, but I was a bit in over my head. Like those were, those instruments are so complex. I had no idea how to market them, to be honest with you. It was just tough. Um, and I had some like personal stuff going on at the time too. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to keep trading. And I just decided to keep trading and, and, and I still worked there, but I was still trading a lot and, and all that. And then I was like, I eventually wanted to get back in esports because I've been wanting to be in esports since like I was 16. 
Um, it just didn't have money back then. Um, so I was just waiting and then finally got the right opportunity where I saw a job get posted on, uh, for San Francisco shock to do some marketing for them. And I'm like, well, I know esports better than I know finance, even then I know finance decently well. So I'm like, <laughs> I could probably be good at this job. So I ended up going back into esports, finally got the job and I was like, I'm never going to leave. I'll never leave esports or leave the gaming space because it's what I'm most passionate about. Um, and then on the side, if I ever lose my job or, you know, whatever, I just trade, fuck it. I got something to fall back on for the rest of my life that I don't need to go into an office for. So, you know, it's, it's wild to think that, I got my first real job in like 2015 and then come 2020, five years later, you know, I have, uh, you know, I'm, I'm running, you know, all of ops and data and a lot of strategy for, you know, a Terra one esports org that has a lot of money and a lot of financial backing from a lot of big players and has three different teams. And it's a booming space that's only going to keep growing and have more money in it. And, you know, to think that, you know, I'm essentially pioneering or helping pioneer an industry is a pretty cool feeling. You know, finance has been around for forever and it's never going to go away. And I think it's one of the best ways to make money if you know what you're doing. Um, but you're not really pioneering anything. Like you're not, I'm not really doing anything. When I was in finance, wasn't the option wasn't going to become the greatest fucking option trading platform of all time. You know, Halo investing might become the best structure, no platform of all time, but that's because there's nobody else doing it. Um, yeah. but, you know, e, you know, esports is just a totally different ball game, but, um, yeah, it's 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 been a wild ride to essentially go from leaving school to being a mechanic to being a personal trainer to being a payroll salesman to trading options to working on structure notes and then into esports. It's it's just fucking crazy to be honest with you. Um, and you know, I finally found something that I'm really good at and really passionate about, and that pays me really well. Like, I, if you do good in esports, they they pay you. They want to keep you. So. No, I mean, I've earned my earned my keep. It's a like you said, you're pioneering an industry. They need the best of the best to make the industry go further, right? You can't just have somebody who doesn't care. My right. question is, you got a job as a marketing? Like, were you the head of marketing for San Francisco Shock? Yeah, so it was called like so. Titles are not very big in our company believe it or not a lot of people find that weird but like andy just doesn't really care like everyone has their no, job I mean, I'm not sure. but when i got hired technically it was director of social media but in that time everything that you do in esports even to this day from marketing standpoint is on social media so yeah essentially i got hired to kind of run their marketing and their marketing department um i had enough oh, relevant okay. experience from working at e-option and i had good success there despite the fact they were just super slow and old school and then even at Halo, like I had some good success and kind of built that, you know, department from the ground up. And, you know, when I had left, they they were kind of moving in a different direction anyway, where they're like, to be honest, we really don't need a market. Like I would they, they brought me in too early at Halo Investing, if you ask me, like they thought they needed a marketing person to go after retail people that, you know, wanted to trade 250,000 to a million bucks in one trade. But, you know, they just weren't ready. They were better off just going after, you know, the banks and getting their their technology into the banks and that's the route they went. They didn't really need a marketing person. So it was kind of like a mutual thing where when, when I left, so there was no hard Yeah. So, yeah, I ended up uh, kind of taking over the marketing aspect of, of the shock and energy at the time. And when, when we started, when I first started there in February of 2018, uh, I mean, our social following was like 350,000 across all of our accounts. We're up to 3.45 million. Um, say energy alone's got half, a little over half a mil. Yeah, energy's got like I don't know. Staring at it, Joe. On Twitter, you're at five hundred and sixty-nine point eight k. Yeah, 
that's what we got on Twitter. And then on, um, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Hello? Why did my, my screen just went black for some reason? Um, anyways, we, uh, Chicago. yeah, I thought I had a power surge. It happens all the time here for some reason. Um, but no, we, we have like 500 something on Twitter. I mean, we have one point like five million or something, I think on like Instagram. Now. Like we're just rolling and then shocks grown exponentially. You know, Huntsman went from zero to total social following of like 410 K in like a year, you know, we're up to like 180 K on, you know, that account starting from nothing after Hector left optic and coming over here and starting a brand new brand and franchise. So, I mean, you know, the growth and most of that growth has come in the last like year. Like it's, it's crazy, you know, and we've hired so a lot I, of I people. Think, yeah. You guys at energy have done something, not a lot of non-established G-sports brands have done, right? Like you have your established G-sports brands and like cloud nine and liquid. They've been around for a while and envy. Yeah, and you have your pop-up brands with like a hundred thieves with Nate shot who had a following and just brought his following to esports, And then, you guys didn't really have like that following, right? Right off the rip. No, it was a tradition. I mean, it was essentially Andy Miller and Mark Mastrov and a couple other people decided to go and you know start an esports organization. And you know, they Andy was super successful. You know, having sold his company to Apple and then working for Steve Jobs for a while. And you know, he saw an opportunity in esports and he came in. And as you know, or you know, people may or may not know, you know, in esports, a lot of the traditional sports people that come in, because Andy technically, technically, he is a traditional sports person only because he owns part of the Sacramento Kings basketball team of the NBA. But must be nice. Yeah, must be nice. Um, <laughs> he most traditional sports people fail in this space. They just burn a lot of cash and they fail. You know, and you know, Andy's coming in fresh, not really knowing the space, and he's got to figure it out. And he's got a lot of money to do so, and he's got celebrity investors like Shaq and Tiesto and J Lo and A Rod and all these, you know, Michael Strahan and all these people. You guys have money, got a lot of cash, right? But get these cash wisely, and you know, sure enough, Andy learned a lot and made a lot of decisions, hired a lot of the right people to come in and help, and uh, the rest is kind of history. And we're just kind of on a little bit of a rocket ship going towards the top at this point. Well, yeah, I mean, you guys hit the nail on the head when Hector did have to sell Optic to Infinite. You brought on, and and I think did it one of the best ways ever is is you didn't like, I, I'm guessing there was no huge pressure to have him join like you wanted him. But I think that there was a good mutual agreement for him to join you guys. And then you guys got uh, probably the biggest name in Call of Duty sports history while having... I mean, San Francisco Shock is one of the top teams in Overwatch, from what I remember. Don't play much anymore, but... Yeah, back-to-back I mean, champions. You know, the San Francisco Shock just won this year's championship, and they won last year's. So, you know, back-to-back champs, best Overwatch League of all time. Um, you know, in the three three years that the league's been around, you know, no one can touch them. And you know, a lot of credit goes to Andy and Chris Chung and, and Krusty and all of them over on that side that have built a, a powerhouse of a team and you know, really understood it. Um you know, how to, how to, you know, build all of that considering, you know, the first season we were not very good, but that was because we had two players under 18 um, and we were just kind of waiting. And then sure enough, they popped off and we've had them be on Jimmy Fallon twice now. So it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I think you guys just did the right business choice. And then uh, when Fortnite was booming, you picked up, uh, well, now you guys have Benji, but you guys have clicks who. The big grew to be a big name. Originally, you had Symphony for a while, who was a big name. Yeah, Symphony went I, to being a variety streamer. Well, 
you get a following, Joe. You take you take your choices. We talked about that a little earlier with Ace. Oh, absolutely. You know they they. You know, Symphony is is a big name and he's done a good job. You know, it's funny is like after he was kind of done with Fortnite and he started variety streaming, like his numbers actually went down quite a bit until Warzone. And he became like this god at Warzone and then everything kind of poked up and now he spends a lot of time with Hunter Thieves guys and you know his his girlfriend's in Hunter Thieves and you know, I bet he'll end up joining Hunter Thieves at some point if he wants to. I, I assume he's going to a Hunter Thieves. I assume Tim is going there also, but yeah, who knows? It's interesting to see the dynamic in esports and where people are spending their money and where they want it to be. Like, you know, we actually beat technically Hundred Thieves wasn't around as long as we have, but you know, we beat Hundred Thieves to one million subs on on YouTube this year, and you know, we grew from like three hundred thousand to a million in one year, which is crazy yeah. growth on YouTube for for an esports org. Well, I think you guys are doing. Uh nothing against the other brands here other esports orgs um i think you guys are doing it right like you while you have a great great competitive team and huntsman now optic chicago uh the shock all of your Fortnite pros you guys have a great competitive team you guys are really good with your content also which then is going to grow your org as an overall brand right yeah yeah i mean we 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 in general like the way that our structure is is great it's like you have energy is like almost an umbrella. Then you have the two competitive teams that are running inside the CD, the CDL and OWL franchises for Activision Blizzard. You know, and the, the thing is, make trying to keep it as interconnected as possible. Like, you know, Seth on Huntsman is you know now Optic. You know, he's still a part of Energy, and yeah, you know, Super on the Shock, he's still a part of Energy. It's 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 a very interesting because that's tough. It's tough to do because it's it's not common like in traditional sports there's no commonality between teams like if you're part of the bulls you're part of the bulls you're not part of the bulls and the bucks right here like it's kind of cross game so it's a little bit different like there's just affiliations more so and you know in our space it's it's you're owned by them right you're just it's how you are like you have the umbrella org and then the subsidiaries essentially so it's been uh it's been good and it's it's been fun and there's a lot of big stuff on the horizon that everyone's got planned yeah. Um, so one thing I want to talk about um, is a little, I guess, behind the scenes look of what esports is. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, as a consumer or watcher, purchaser of merchandise and so on, um, I, I look at esports as a great entertainment value. But knowing that there is probably a large amount of work and things that, you know, you're not going to notice or see in the aspect of where you have people like you yourself, you have not to shit on you by any standards, (laughs) 2,300 Twitter followers. Yep. You are a director of one of the largest esports organizations in North America. Yep. I'm not forward facing. Yeah, exactly. So there's the understanding that no one knows what's happening behind the scenes except for the people that are working it. So shed a little light. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, esports being in this whole new industry is very much derived on entertainment, right? You know, gaming is a part of esports. Esports is gaming. There's different aspects. You know, for those that are not, you know, don't understand, like esports is just the competitive side of gaming, right? So, you know, you're you're competing just like as if you were playing in traditional sports, and it's very similar kind of in the traditional sports, unless you're like a coach or GM, where you know no one really knows who the you know 
director of operations or the COO is of their favorite sports team. For the most part, most people probably don't. They know the players, right? Because the players are the ones that they see. They're the ones getting on all the content made about them. The ones that everyone, you know, kind of, uh, you know, wears their jerseys for. They're like, no one's going out and getting a jersey for the freaking COO of an NHL, you know, franchise, right? Same thing in esports, you know, because we're just not forward facing. So, you know, it's it's interesting because without the back end people, as everyone already knows, there is no one that can be in the forefront. Um, you know, there we have a massive team here at, at Energy, and it, for, I guess it's not even that massive to be honest. It just it feels big because people do so many jobs. But you know, we have like you know Brett, who's our president, and you know he's got a decent following because he's the president and the CEOs. Those kind of get the they kind of get the most clout because they're kind of the ones running the business, and they get certain things that they put on social media that help explain actions on social channels. Um, but then you have people like, you know, Paige, Paige Reed, she's kind of head of all of our accounts. She's a fucking rock star. And without her, this company probably would fall apart on the partnership side because she's just she does everything. She manages manages like 15 accounts by herself um, with the help of actually a new guy that we have, Jack, who's also a rock star. So, you know, the, those people are literally keeping the lights on for everyone here because they manage our partners. Brett sells them. I handle all the data behind all of the stuff that we're selling and like what we're going to be able to give to a sponsor or, you know, uh, the proposals to these prospective sponsors or partners. Right. And then they, once they sell, these people manage those accounts and make sure the deliverables get hit and make sure that they're happy without them. We don't have a business, right. Cause you have to have money coming in. And the same thing happens on the other end. Like in order to be able to sell those, you have to be able to have content that people want to watch. So you have an entire creative team. You know, on our end, we have executive producer Grady Rains, who makes a ton of our Fortnite content, a lot of our stuff on the Huntsman side or slash optic side. You have Hector. There's a lot of the, he's the forward facing guy, but also coming up with a lot of the you know content ideas. So you need those people to produce the content and then have editors edit the content. Um, you know, videographers shoot the content with them if it's going to be a video piece, put it out there. And then the social team has to figure out a way to get people to want to watch it. Right. So you have all these moving parts, just like you would on anything that you do to push out this content and then it has to do well. And then when, if it does well, then we can sell it next time. Right. So there's so much back end stuff that goes on that. No one thinks about everyone just is like, Oh, well they got these four players and da, 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 da. I'm like, well, yeah, we got these four players, but how do we pay for their salaries? Like, let's just say that we, we spend, which we don't, but let's just say that we spend $5 million on in salaries for the Chicago optic team. Right. How are we going to offset $5 million? Like we need sponsors. How are we going to get sponsors? We need good content. How do we make good content by having good people and having them understand they have to make content? How do people watch it? Cause social teams good at doing it. And then after that you sell it, right? It's just a revolving circle and you have all these backend things that you have to think about and do before, um, you know, you can just say, fuck it. Like I'm like, I can go pay this guy a million dollars because I know he's going to bring in X amount of dollars on content that we make with him. And that's kind of how it, it kind of operates. We're in this, it's almost like we're a media company. Right. You know, esports, the people on the back end is almost like they're working for a media company because what we're doing is being able to sell and monetize our players is essentially what the job is. It's like, okay, take them, make them into stars, make content with them, make people care about the content, and then we're going to go sell that content to a prospective sponsor or we're going to make content that comes with it. That's what keeps the lights on is sponsorship month. And then on top of that, too, like you have your YouTube revenue and your Twitter revenue, which are all secondary aspects of everything. But 
Now that's well, those aren't kind of how it works. those are nowhere near sponsorship revenue. In that you'd be surprised. Thing. Surprisingly, you'd be surprised. YouTube, not so much, unless you got a massive. Okay. massive I was gonna massive say, following. I'm expecting YouTube, unless you're like in the Google preferred with like 20 million. Yeah, you subs. got a lot of subs. We, we mean, you, people still make good money. You know, ten, twenty thousand dollars. You know, when you get. I'm talking about being able to support an organization. Right. Yeah, you're people, definitely not right? going. To. I mean, Twitter ads alone probably makes more than YouTube, believe it or not, which people don't. It might be a surprise a lot of people, but we probably make 10x more on Twitter than we do YouTube. Uh, you know, t- Twitter is just a pre-roll ad that everyone watches. And if the content's good enough, because the content's sh- short, 20, 30 seconds, you're going to have more people watch a, a six-second ad as a pre-roll than in a YouTube video where they might have a mid-roll ad or an end-roll ad or something like that, where the inventory, you're not even getting it to, to it because no one's going to watch the 10-minute video that you made. They watch 30 seconds. Um, so you know, those are just... You're essentially having to take like just think of it as like to keep the lights on, just like in any business, you have different aspects of the business that bring in cash. And on our end, it's like traditional sports where we have to sell content and social and all of that, but that's all we have. In traditional sports, you have ticket sales, you have big sponsors that come in and want to give you a lot of money because they can join your stadium. We don't have that. All we have is content. That's literally it. There's nothing else that we can do to make money outside of content. Um, you know, we don't have a stadium that we're putting people in. You know, if we were like we did were last year before COVID hit or this year, I should say before COVID hit, you know, we had our home series event that was going to be in Chicago and we were going to sell sponsors for it. But it's one event and you're going to have three to four thousand people there. It's not like a year I'm going to say, oh, well, we're going to have three to four thousand people there 80 times throughout the year. Um, so we want to sign a longer term deal to get your name on in our arena. Right. Like all these other people do. Like we don't have that. We have here's one They're like, OK, well, here's twenty thousand dollars. That's fucking useless to me. Like 20 grand, I'll take it, but it doesn't do anything. You know, it, it's all revolves around social media and content and influencers and your social metrics. And it's it's kind of crazy to think that that's essentially how the the business strategy is for pretty much every esports org for the most part is how can I make more content and get more people to watch my content and how can I make more money off my content? And that's w- what we do. That's what everyone in the back end does. Um, even GMs, like there's two different sides of being a general manager, Jamie Kanika, who's RGM is one of the best in the business. And there's two aspects. One is the competitive side, right? Where you're trying to build a competitive team to win and then also try to find a way to make money off them. And the other end is the influencer side where it's like, okay, well, they're just going to stream all the time and they're going to make content. So how can I make money off them? I want to find this up and coming person. That's got a person, great personality, like a, a Ronaldo, who's part of our Fortnite team. That's got a phenomenal personality. That's just entertaining, right? Oh, we can grow that cool and find these you know obscure obscure talent that no one's really looking at that are not big and make them big so that way when you lock them in you know to not that you're locking them into a shitty contract but when they're small you know you don't pay them as much and then if they grow and get bigger you know then yeah you pay them a little bit more but you you brought them to that point so you know they're associated with your brand and it's easier to monetize when it's like that you know it's it's just it's just different it's just a totally different ball game but there's a lot of aspects that go on in the back end that People just don't see or understand or care about like, you know, if you pull out a couple, two people in an organization, not that it all goes to shit, but I'd tell you right now, people would be storming. There'd be an alarm being sound across the board and people like, well, fuck, how do we, how, what do we do? Like if Paige just decided today, I'm fucking done. I quit. If Paige quit. Oh, okay. Who's going to manage her 15 accounts? We're all already all so busy, <laughs> you know, like, and those are the unsung heroes of these, these organizations that nobody will ever hear of. It's just the way it is. And some people are okay with that. Some people are not. 
There's some people that are like, I want clout. So I'm going to go find a way to get clout while working for this org. And if that's your fucking goal, you'll never make it. You have to literally not give a shit about if people know your name, which is tough in our space, believe it or not. People, everyone wants to get recognized, right? That's no, so I, de- I definitely think that's where um, you hear all those people that say, I want to get a job in esports, right? You know, and oh, they'll the even shoot emails out like, put whatever they can out as feelers but the understanding is is they want to be the next hector they want to be the next nade shot they want to be the next scomper banks or tommy from phase you know they want to be that like have that lifestyle of doing whatever you want being ahead of a huge esports or having some saying in esports and the understanding is if you want to get a job in esports you may get some recognition probably going to be sitting behind the scenes but you have that idea that you are the reason why these people can even be who they are. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, that that's, you know, an interesting part is the biggest question that everyone always gets asked is like, how do I get an esports? I want to work in gaming. And my old, I always ask them why, why, why well, I like video games. I said, that's not good enough. <laughs> they always kind of look at me funny when I say it's not good enough. Like, it's not good enough that you just want to be in there. Cause you like video games. Everyone likes video games. I love video games, but like, why do you want to work in esports and gaming? Like why are you trying to change the world? Like, are you trying to say that, well, I can do the X, Y, and Z better, and I want to make great content, I want to entertain the masses? Okay, that's a pretty good reason. Are you saying that, you know, hey, I see some, you know, financial deficiencies in, in the way that a lot of people are running from what I've heard and understand, and, you know, I can make your company, you know, 10 times more efficient because of X, Y, and Z, and I want to be able to take esports to that next level, um, and I think you guys are the right people to do it? great that's a good reason but if it's just because you like gaming and it just like sounds like a cool job to work in video games you'll never make it you'll literally you will not make it i'll tell it to anybody i'll say it till i'm blue in the face i don't care if other people disagree if you literally just want to get in gaming esports because you like playing video games it won't work it just won't because you're you're going in for all the wrong reasons like i i know there's a couple people that i've that i've even had um you know want to volunteer at some of the events that i've ran in here in chicago and I, I've had some great volunteers like Taylor and Rafer and a couple of these other people that are great. And they're, they're fans of the org, right? And they're fans of Optic. They're fans of all the guys. But when I said they volunteered, I was like, look, you can't fanboy over them. You have to do the job that I'm asking you to do. And then I said, you'll get to meet and greet with them and do what you want. But I need you to work. They did. Perfect. Yeah, you got to do your job. They did it. Not a problem. And those are the people that I like because they didn't fanboy. I've had other people, though, that are like, oh, I want to do this. And I just see how they like they see Seth and they're like, fucking, oh, my God, it's Seth. And I'm like it won't work for you. you you care more about meeting seth and wanting to be a part of it just because you could say you're a part of it than wanting to push something forward in this space that like i don't care that i just it just to me like I, if i see you do that like i'm glad that you're happy to see him like if i saw patrick Kane and jonathan taves of the blackhawks i'd be like fuck yeah i want to meet these guys let's go like <laughs> hell yeah but you know, if I see you do it in the in the gaming space, like that's fine. You can have be fans of them. But if you're getting into gaming because you just want clout to be with them, you just you'll never make it. You'll just absolutely no, never no. Make it. All right, Joe, I got my pitch for you. Okay, I want to be the director of information technologies for you guys. <laughs> I will set up servers so your content team can work from wherever based on a VPN. And they can download and edit the content, so then you don't have to pay for offices. See, the thing is, we don't pay for offices. God damn it, Joe. <laughs> we already all work remote, so it's a great idea, but we don't have an office. <laughs> no, no. I in for because I, I have looked it's, actually heavily involved and tried to find a job in esports, but I want it to be something where I can bring benefit to the team or company. It's funny. it's funny. I remember it because like, I get I get hit up all the time. Like oh, so I'm not I'm, shocked. 
You you know you want to know who's who runs the IT department at our company. Some third party company. You guys probably pay less than one no, person. I do. You want to know why I run the IT company? Why the you IT? You know how a computer works. Well, I know how a computer works, and I'm I'm pretty good with you know tech savvy, but um, it, it's because we don't really need one. <laughs> uh, everyone yeah. works remote. Well, like so, here's the thing that's different, and, and it'll change. Like this is all going to change. We don't have an office that everyone has to go into, so I don't have to. And everyone has their own computers. And believe it or not, not that there's security risks but everything we run runs off google suite right almost everything we do google docs google sheets all that shit um and that's where our emails are from all that crap so there's not a lot of any overhead and then on top of it like we are not giving people computers that need to be locked down now if we yeah. had to do all of that fuck i ain't doing it if we had to have servers <laughs> and all that shit of course you can have it people but just in the way our company works we don't have an office that's necessary to have it eventually oh yeah absolutely oh well that that's yeah, where I'm, I'm expecting the future of esports is to either you guys are going to have like third-party companies or you will have a full department yeah, depends on what it. you want i think you know if you look at companies like tsm like they they make most of their money because they have like an not, not an it department per se but because they focus on you know something completely different than esports like they own blitz and blitz is yeah. like a, a big piece of software that's got some ai in it that helps you get better at video games like league of legends and valorant and kind of is a personal coach to an extent and they just hire a fuck ton of developers and people develop the app and they work on all of that. And that's their big, big moneymaker. Like it's a secondary aspect that it involves gaming, but you know, it's, it's not the same. Um, and then again, they have an office, so they they obviously need it support more than anything else. Um, so no, I agree. I, as we have discussed before, that was just a joke. <laughs> you know, I know uh, it was. I'm well, still I would talk to you about it though. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love to work in in esports. Um, nothing against you guys. I don't plan to have a boss in hey, ten I years from you, now. Bro. I feel you on that one. I wish. Uh, well, I love. You my are body. very passionate with esports, though. Yeah, uh, you know, you can see it, right? Yeah, I, I eat, sleep, breathe this this stuff. You know? Exactly. I, I don't even know if I could do that with this. I mean, I love gaming and esports, and ha I was way back before there were salaries. By the way, all you motherfuckers pay these these Call of Duty kids so much money. Oh yeah, salaries. I was doing it for five hundred dollars to win a tournament. God damn it! Yeah, salaries are inflated across the board. Not so much in COD as they are in other in other games, but salaries are inflated kind of everywhere. CS oh. is probably the worst. Um, well, I would, I'm not shocked. I mean, that game brings a large amount of viewership, which as you described previously, can lead well, to large sponsorships and more money. And kind of. So it was interesting, and this is the part about esports that I think other people don't understand more than anything is probably the salary aspect. It's probably one of the most un misunderstood things in esports because it's not public, right? That Most of the shit's not public. Like Cloud9's finally just releasing like their player salaries, which has put a lot of, you know, they're under fire a bit by it because they're kind of like leaking out what people are making, but it's, that's hundred percent their own prerogative. And I kind of fucking like it because all traditional sports people know the salaries and it keeps them accountable to what their level is and how they should be played. But the, the biggest thing that people don't understand in all this is let's say that, and I'll just use our counter-strike team that we had as an example. Uh, you know, we had one of the best teams in the world, like top five team. They ended up being number one at some point, you know, if, you know, when we had them, they were great and they won, right? And and they got a lot of viewership. Like Counter Strike had a ton of viewership. So when they're playing the majors, you know, there's like two hundred thousand people watching, which is great. That adds to the marketability, marketability, right? 
The downside is, is it's not monetizable. I can't monetize viewership of our team because I'm not the one hosting the tournament. So I can't monetize it. Like the people running the tournament, the tournament operators, the TOs, they're the ones that monetize that based on the viewership that teams pull. Like for instance, right? Go to the call of duty real quick. What team pulled the highest amount of viewership every single time this year for the most part? Uh, it was the Huntsman, right? Now Chicago yeah. Optic. Who's going to, I mean, when you're going to go, let's say you're going to go sell a partnership or sponsorship, what are you going to lead with? Them. Of course you are because they pull the most viewership numbers. Now, do I get a piece of that pie because our team pulled the highest amount of viewership? Fuck no. I get nothing, right? The only thing I no, get is be- just a lot of people are watching them. I don't sell them. So it's kind of back to the Counter-Strike example. When they're all, let's say we're paying these guys, let's say they cost us like a million dollars a year to run. How do I make money off of a million dollars that I am spending on this team for flights and food and player salaries and everything else that they want throughout the year? How am I going to make money? Back to what I said earlier, content. What if they decide yeah. they don't want to make content because they just want to grind and be good? Where do I get value from them then? I don't. The only value I'm getting is just the fact that they're in a major space and it makes it, gives us some credibility, I guess. Um, and, and at some point, yeah, you have to do that at the time when we were doing it, we needed the credibility in the space cause we weren't big enough and unable to make enough money. But now, you know, if a CS team came to us and said, well, we want to get back we want to come work for you guys. The first thing I would say to them was like, are you going to make content? No, we just want to play. Okay. Bye. No, thank you. Why? Because I'm just going to dump money into you for what reason you haven't, you don't care about our org. You don't give two shits. You just want to compete under any team that's going to pay you money. I get it. I would too. You don't want to make content. Fine. But I can't monetize you if you don't make content. I can't. There's nothing I can do. What am I going to do? Put a jersey sponsor on you and get paid maybe $250,000, $400,000 because of viewership on broadcast, which is tough to figure out because it's there's so many tournaments you play in. I'd have to go to every single TO and try to get those metrics and numbers to figure out what the value of a jersey is. It's not fucking worth my time right? It's not worth it at all in the slightest. So I'd say no, good riddance. You're good. We don't need you. I don't need the credibility in the space anymore. We're already credible. We're tier one org. I'm um, good. And that's like a massive misconception like that people have across the board where they just think, oh, well, they pull a lot of viewership or, oh, they're one of the best teams in the world. Like they deserve to get what they're getting paid. No, they don't. I personally don't. Lot of, some people will tell you they do that because they just want to win. Like, oh, we just want to win. So we're going to pay them a lot, right? Because that's how traditional sports is like you're the best player in the NFL, you're going to get a fat bag. And that's great. Like, because, you know, they have different ways of making money off of you and, and your likeness. We don't, we don't have that many avenues. So I'd much rather have a team that finishes 500 every year, but make cranks out fucking content for days that I can go and sell versus a team that wins everything and says, fuck you. I don't want to do content any day. Of the well, I mean, you guys bought that in, in optic and the Hector and, Right, we got a content his idea. And, and and that's Hector's mantra. Like Hector, literally, I'll never, I won't forget it. Right, and I followed him his his entire career in esports. Right, since you know 2007, and you know, Hector has always been content first. And he came into our first company meeting, and you know, was kind of giving a little bit of a spiel and talking the way that Hector does. And he had said to all of us, he goes, you know, I'll tell you this. He's like the way that I run stuff. For those that don't know, he goes, his content comes first. Because I don't give a shit if we lose every single game this year, as long as these guys are making content, because that's what reigns supreme in this industry. It's all about content. We're a content first, winning second. And sure enough, the guys are good enough to where they, they finish, you know, third. Um, you know, they're, they're a great team. So it is what it is. Um, but that's always been his mantra. And that's a mantra that I think that most I wish more teams would kind of follow suit on. Um, and why I have such a disdain for Counter-Strike right now 
is just because their salaries are so inflated. They're making so much money. These people are making $20,000 a month per player to do what? They don't give back to the org. They're not giving back a lot of them. Some of them do and good for them, but most of them don't. And, you know, that's just kind of the way that I see it. That's the way I view the industry. And it's, it's, a, it's a very difficult aspect of the business that I don't think anybody pays attention to because why would you? If your team's winning, like the shock, they're winning. Okay, what are the, what are the shock bringing in money-wise? Are they, are they break even because they make enough money on the team winning all the time? Because they don't make content, really. You know, Corey, who's the VP of our, our shock team, is one of the probably greatest social media and content guy in the entire Overwatch League space. He's fucking incredible. And he busts his ass and he gets great numbers and we can help sell that. But he doesn't have much to go off of of maybe stream clips. These guys really don't shoot a lot of content. It's just not the way that space runs and how the people do it. So are they worth it? Is that championship squad worth it? Or am I better off selling off everyone and just getting a team that wants to make some content that I pay a lot less that I can go out and sell and maybe I'll make a profit off of and they're just going to lose, right? It's it's a fine line because I don't know. It depends on who you ask. Some people are like, oh, I'd rather have a championship team. I'd fucking rather have a team that wants to make content. Well, at this point though, it, you're still a business, right? Like you still you have, have to make money. make money. Absolutely. Like we're in a and- weird time where we have all this cash that people have given and everyone knows that it's a long-term play. So it's okay to have a red, you know, mark at the end of the year. But at the same time too, you have to manage that. You have to manage your burn rate. And a lot of yeah, people, no, really you can't lose everything. You can't Correct. lose it all. So it's a fine line. Like you have to walk the fine line between content and winning. That's what, that's what I say. I always say there's a fine line that you have to walk. If you want to be successful in the space between content and winning, I want a great team, but we're not at a point where a great team makes me money yet. I need content too. So I need, if I'm going to have a team that's just going to win and give me credibility in the space because they win, I need to offset it with content and a team, people that are going to make content and make me money and offset that aspect of the business. And that's how you become profitable. I truly believe it. I think that's exactly what you need. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just my opinion. I mean, there's a lot of different orgs out there and owners out there that believe in different things, um, that invest in different spots because they think it's going to be like the next big thing or, you know, view the space I, in a totally different light. It's just kind of where I nut out. Yeah, I mean, what esports is estimated? Well, it is a billion dollar industry, but it's estimated to grow by billions, right? Oh so. yeah, oh yeah, it's expected to be one of the, probably the fastest growing industry on yeah. on the planet. It, it, for, in a uh, sense, it is future proof. Yeah, not, it not, is not fully future proof, but like mm. the idea of you have a guaranteed growth, or not a guaranteed, an estimated Whoa. growth that is very yeah, fast absolutely. Absolutely. And the gaming space will grow faster than the esports side will. The esports side will lag behind the gaming space because everybody plays games now. Like, just everybody does. The the bigger question, the harder part of our industry, which is, it's, you know, the heartbeat or the, the, not the heartbeat, like the thing that it might set the industry back, which I'm worried about coming from a finance background now, you know, and learning how the market works and all that is just like the dot-com era, which I don't remember because I was a kid, but like the dot-com bubble, there was a bubble. And yeah, there's going to be a bubble that'll pop. There, there's there's a bubble now, right? And it's just a matter of time until it pops. And the, the reason that there's a bubble is because everyone and their mother threw money in this and VCs threw money in it and all that thing. And that this is just a big, huge, like, cash giant. They're just going to make a fucking boatload of money. And it's it's not. It's a long-term play. It's like traditional sports. Like, people made fun of Mark Cuban when he bought the Dallas uh, – when he bought the Mavericks, right? People made fun of him. So he spent too much money. Now he made fucking a ton of money off the Mavs. It's worth – I think over a billion dollars now. So he made money off it and a lot of it, but 
you know, it, it took time. It's the same concept here. Like we're not just going to grow and make money. Like it wasn't just, oh, you get into esports, everyone's throwing money at it. You're just going to make money. No, we're not. And it's a bubble. And eventually it's going to pop. And we're going to see who's left. Um, and hopefully when that pop happens, salaries will come down. I'm hoping that what Cloud9 started with showing salaries will help the industry as a whole and people start sharing more. So we know who's getting overpaid. So we know what the norms are. And then we figure out a way to bring the salary costs down and all that. Because right now, most orgs spend more money on salaries than anything else. By a long shot. Oh, no, without a doubt. Like some people, they spend so much on their player salaries and they get like nothing out of it. You know, the people that make the least amount of money in esports are the people that work behind the scenes. And and get it. We make good money. If if you're good at what you do and you work for a good company, you do make good money. But they don't make nearly as much as other people do. Like, I know for a fact that one of the top players on one of our teams, I won't say who, I won't say what league it's in, I won't say who they play for, they make 10x what I make, and I make good money, right? But what if I leave? What happens to them? Eh, Nothing, probably, to be honest with you, if I left. But what if our entire org imploded, and now they don't have a, they don't don't make anything, right? You know what I'm saying? They have to go somewhere else. And that's the interesting conundrum that we're kind of in in this space is, you know, at some point with all this burst, what happens with all the money? Everyone has a certain lifestyle they've been living because they're making so much money. You know, what what happens? I don't really have an answer to it, but it'll be interesting. Well, I also think um, it really does heavily come down to what the org and how the org is managing themselves. I think the way you describe things is as the director of operations and data, you definitely look at a lot of things. You're going to look at salaries. You're going to look at how much things cost. You're going to look at how you can make a profit, right? Right. Especially coming from a finance background, you're going to look for a profit of things and you understand, OK, we were expected to be red. And as you said, Mark Cuban probably was red with the Mavs for a while. But over time, as long as this has a steady increase, it doesn't even have to be a bubble pop or a bubble rise like it is. Um, you you sh- the expectations to come out positive, right? You're going to be out green. Um, and it all depends on how it's done. As you said, focusing on content and having people that want to watch the content, let plus, you know, a, a decent team. I mean, you, you have, yeah, I don't people want to as, for me, if I watch a professional, a professional streamer, gamer, whatever league, whatever game, uh, I expect them to be better than me. Right. So I'm going to watch them cause they're better than me. Cause I like seeing people that are better than me do something. Yeah, you it's the same reason better. why we watch professional sports. Right. Yep. Exactly. I mean, I I watch baseball because I want to be the next Bryce Harper. I'm never going to be Bryce Harper, but gotta have God, he's man. a great player. Right, and you you get attached to it. You like watching. I'm in the same way. I watch a ton of sports, and I watch it because, I mean, it's just I have a love for that. It's the same thing in gaming, and it's like the boomer generation doesn't understand. I mean, I remember when I had explained <laughs> to my parents working here. They're like, you're going to get paid to market people that play video games? And I'm like, yeah, like, how the fuck are you going to make money doing that? And I was like, well. Let me tell you. <laughs> Fucking boomer generation. The boomer generation. I call, I call my parents boomers all the time, even though they, they like get it and they're intelligent people. And my mom hates when I do it. I'm like, Ma, you're such a boomer. Such a fucking boomer. And she hates You me. say that I call myself a boomer when I like struggle to get up at the age of 26. <laughs> I feel like a boomer being 29 next uh in um you know next week. So it's uh it's crazy, that's for sure. A crazy space that we're in in the in sports industry and it's, it's it's interesting to see how all this is going to net out and uh, who's going to be left when the dust settles over the next 10 years. I mean, well, yeah, and I think that's something to put in perspective. This bubble, when it pops, it's it's not going to be like the dot-com pop where it popped and 
everything shit the bed. No, not at all. This is probably going to be a little bit of a grinder, right? Yeah, I think I think you're starting to see it now with certain teams that have kind of run into cash problems. Um, you know, the, it's just it's tough because in this industry, you have to keep raising money until we get to that point of where we're kind of break even or profitable. And a lot of teams burn through cash a lot faster than others because they haven't embraced the idea that content reigns supreme and really worked on building their brand. They've focused on getting the best players or they focused on, you know, just being in everything because they needed to get, they need to be, they needed validation instead of slowly trying to figure out what they need to be in and how to do it. Right. Um, You know, and those are all inherent problems with the space and any company that has gotten money from a VC or someone else to invest in them that hasn't worked out. It's just because they're poorly managed their funds and the business. And no, not trying to be mean to them because it's not an easy space to navigate, but there's a lot of people that came in that either came from the traditional side and just didn't get out esports worked or vice versa. We're in esports, but had zero business background to understand how to run it and understand how money works and understand how to manage burn and, and figure out, okay, well, yeah, I can do that this year, but what does that do to me next year? What does that do to me three years from now? How am I no, going mean, to scale this? You, you guys picked up now a, an org that went through that, right? Like mm-hmm. infinity was not good for optic. It was horrible, but they had money, right? Exactly. And that, and that's what, you know, as you said, salaries got heavier. Uh, Hector needed money to be able to pay players. He wasn't able to pay them just off of the sponsorships that he was getting. Uh, so you had a venture capitalist firm that was willing to pay money for it, but it was not ran. And I mean, I've listened to the eavesdrop podcast where Hector and Hitch pretty much didn't go into everything, but they, they shit the bed on infinity. And they said, you know, not dropping and dropping two jerseys in the same year when Optic's been doing that one Jersey per year for damn near a decade. Right. You don't make money. Exactly. But you can't just actively put out merch and things like that to make money. You have to then go and do things correctly. And I think that just tossing money at things isn't always going to work. No, it it can work for a lot of things, but not to be profitable over the long term in a brand new space, right? Yeah, they they ended. I mean, the one thing with Infinite that they did was they they needed they because they spent so much money acquiring Optic and they spent so much money acquiring all these different places like. They needed to make money, right? And they needed to do it fast. So what they did was they went, they just threw out all the tradition that Hector has built up and all the loyalty that he had of all these people and just said, fuck you. We don't care what you have to say. We don't care what your loyalty. We're going to go put all this stuff out there because we need money. And then on top of that too, they never understood the profitability of quality content and letting Hector do it his own way. They're just like, oh, we're going to do this, this, and this. And granted, I don't know all the inner stuff. I only know what I've heard. Uh, but I know for a fact that they just did not listen to what Hector had to say. And, you know, essentially it was what I call it. He got snaked out of his own company um, and, yeah. you know, it got publicized and he's, he got it back, which is crazy because I don't think he ever thought he'd get it back. Um, but, you know, it, it's it's an important lesson in the space and an important lesson for everyone that comes in that you can't just buy loyalty. It's different. It is different in our space than any other space where you cannot buy loyalty. And Infinity tried to buy loyalty and then got rid of the person that everyone was loyal to. The entire brand went to shit. It all went to shit. It didn't matter how many followers you had. No one cared. It's different. It's not like, you know, Chicago Blackhawks had Joel Quinville as the coach. 
you know, when Joel Quinville, he got us three cups. He's one of the greatest coaches of all fucking time. When he left, I was pissed. I was furious. Am I going to not support the Blackhawks because he left? And I disagree with management? No. Why? Born and raised in Chicago. Grew up on Blackhawks hockey. Eat, sleep, breathe that shit. Right? When I, it's different in the esports space where people had an affinity to optic, but they had an affinity to optic because of Hector and Seth and Nate and everybody else. They cared about the people more than they cared about the brand. And they followed their people because Hector looked at them as like family. So when he left and they walked out, I think infinity didn't think that. I don't think they realized how bad it would be. I think they thought, well, it's optic. We got a bunch of loyal fan bases. And I think they were a bit naive thinking that people weren't going to just jump ship. And sure enough that everyone left. There's not a single person that was an optic fan that did not fucking leave when I like then when Hector left. There's there's no, no way. No. You, you could look at what they were posting, like what their engagement was on social media and compared the, to they took. Yeah. Mm. No, it, it was it was a shit show and it was a I'll say an enlightenment moment for almost all of esports from my understanding. And this is not any bit of me being involved in esports, but me noticing that um you had, in a sense, a business that, because you had a head figure and all the figures under that head figure weren't a part of the business anymore, the business wasn't a business anymore. There was no green wall at COD events. Nope. It was Huntsman. <laughs> yeah, no, the Huntsman, because Energy acquired the people yep. and created the new brand with those people, the Huntsman then was the brand. And yep. that was who you had at the events. Yeah, and that's exactly what it was. There was no green wall at the event. Everyone like people had Hex twenty twenty on their their shirts or on their <laughs> like thing at the the Minnesota launch event this year. Like the affinity was towards him, and now and you know they loved the brand, but they cared more about him, right? And the love for him is what made them follow him to this next adventure that we did with Huntsman. And now that that's gone, and you know going to be put to bed for a little bit, even though Hector loved it and he's got Optic back, like. It's just like everything's back to normal and people are happy and he's going to get it to run it his own way. And it's it's awesome. You know, it's, it's a good overall win for everybody in gaming and all that. But it's a super important lesson that I, I it, people probably won't even notice or watch because it's it's so niche to our market. But like, you know, let's just say two years from now, you know, there's another expansion in some of these these leagues and you know someone comes in like they're not going to fucking know like what happened with optic and all of that shit. They're going to probably have no idea. Right. It's and it's to me like it'd be one of those first things that I would ever tell anybody, you know, about the space and just when they really wanted to understand how it works and how it ticks. That story in and of itself should make people understand how it, how the entire industry operates from a, a love and branding perspective. Like you got to give Hector the credit where credit's due. Um, you know, he built one of the premier brands, you know, by himself with the right people because he focused on content and understood it. Um, and you know, that's what a lot of teams now that come in don't do well, building uh, a star. They're not focusing on content They're, I think Hector did both aspects of esports, right? Right. Like he, he didn't have just like a content team that was horrible at the game. Oh, they were great at it. Uh, Seth is probably going to go down in history as the best call of duty player. Yep. And the big timer will he's considered the goat. For a reason. Oh, Big T was a great player it, when he played. Is he hilarious to watch and have content made with him? Yes. Yep. So Hector did the right thing in hitting both. But I want to say nailed both aspects. Yeah, he taught. Right? He taught them at a young age when they were impressionable. 
that yes. personal brand was is important in order to get a personal brand they had to build optic together right and they did and they all competed like there was a time seth wasn't on optic there was a time nate shot wasn't on optic like you know it, it kind of came into something you know later on and became this big thing and all that like over time um you know, and the love over time is, is what built Hacks and Optic and all of them, like, and launched the careers of Seth and Nate Shot. And you know, Nate Shot's got his own company and all those things. And it, it, he did do it right. He did it right on every level. And it should be a textbook. Like, people should look at that as a textbook thing on how to build a brand in esports. It's different now a bit because we have all this money. And back then it was a grind. Um, but if anything, it should make it a bit easier, right? To, if you could follow the same type of principles that he always had content first make it about the people make it a family you know and you know care about your community and over time it'll happen it's just different now because the space is saturated right We're- yes yes uh, so uh what you're saying is how i feel about people who want to be content creators right everybody wants to be the next youtuber instagram influencer yeah, or whatever well, yeah. it's a great life it's a great life exactly um there's a i'll call him an educational influencer uh he goes by harris heller I don't know if you've ever heard of him. I have. Um, he makes content on how to grow as a content creator. And I'm, I'm not bullshitting you when I could follow his shit step by step and I could get to a living life of as a content creator. It's a grind to get there, but it is now laid out there. And that's what Hector did for all of esports, right? Yeah. If you hey, nope. here's a way to grow a following create content, have people like that content, have people like the people who are making the content and then grow as, Oh shit, these people are good at the game. Let's see if they can win and let's support them to win. Yeah, no, hundred percent. And and that's, that's the key part of all this. Like every game's different and you have to understand their community. You know, he understood COD, you know, he helped build it, but like, you know, call of duty was, has never been the biggest game from the competitive no. standpoint like that's the most amazing part to me like by far the most amazing part to me out of all of this is the fact that hector grew optic to 1.3 million on twitter and all these other big things a million on youtube had this crazy fandom attached in a game that was never considered massive if anything people considered it a tier two or even tier three esport at times like it wasn't league of legends it it wasn't dota it wasn't starcraft It, it it wasn't counter strike you know it was a console game that people love to play and people still love to play as like a pub casual game, but no one ever really gave it the credit that is due when, you know, it was necessary in call of duty. And what's hilarious to me is I don't think call of duty would be where it's at today without him. Because what, what ended up happening was is Hector was teaching all these people to create content. Other people started creating content. There's a reason why on Twitter, some of these other pros have massive followings like an aches or a crin or all of them is because they, not that they follow the exact same playbook, but Hector kind of laid it out for them that, hey, you got to care about your personal brand. You got to make content like you need to be vocal on social media. Like you, you need to build the following and work on your own personal brand. And sure enough, a lot of them did to some extent and they saw some success. You know, Aix didn't necessarily make content. You know, Aix just won championships. But because Hector got all these eyeballs on Call of Duty because he built this crazy brand and fandom – Aix is going to profit and make some money. You know, he's going to reap the benefits of that as a whole, as an industry. And I'll say to this day, I don't think the Call of Duty League exists right now, at least maybe in the future. I don't think it exists without Hex doing what he did with Optic back then. 
No, I I agree. I Hex laid the ground. Hex made Phase, in my opinion. Well, I didn't like. I knew Phase was like a trick shotting team, but he he grew people, and then other people understood how he grew people, and then they grew orgs. Right, like yeah, and they did it early. You know, you got to give phase yeah. people credit that they they grinded, and it was always a grind. That's the key. Like anything in life, and everybody always tells us you got to want it, you got to grind. Like no, literally, if you listen to Hector's story as you have, like these dudes didn't know that they've got a house together, and they had to make they were making just enough money on YouTube this when it was new. They're making just enough money from all the content uploads that they were getting, and the social stuff that they were posting in their streams. They're making barely enough just to keep the lights on in the house like they barely even had money for food nate shot had an air mattress like they they are the exactly they, they grind to get to where they're at like you have to respect it like over anything oh, else, those guys grinded it wasn't like oh i got really good at a video game i got signed to a pro or now i'm fucking making a boatload of money which is fine if you go that route they literally grinded and helped build the call of duty industry from a competitive standpoint and then in general gaming youtube like people don't give that enough credit. Hector helped build gaming YouTube. Like people watching YouTube videos, just gaming aspects. Hundred percent. No. Amazing. Oh yeah. So it, it's crazy. It's it's very interesting to see how everything is kind of laid out, and you know, it's it's wild. If you would have asked me when I was 16, 17 years old, playing Call of Duty Four Pro Mod in my room, um, you know, my parents tell me to get off the computer. It's gonna rot your brain. Um, if I would be working with, with Hector, the guy that like, you know, started pioneering all that stuff that I kind of looked up to at the time, like I would tell you, you're fucking crazy. There's no fucking way. And sure enough, look at, look where we're at now. Like I talk to him on the daily. <laughs> it's, uh, it's crazy. Well, I think you're doing it right too, by, uh, as you said, you don't fanboy over Hector. Nah, you no, I get him. mad at him you all the time. I, get, I got mad at him today. We had a call, <laughs> we had a call for this tournament we're running on Sunday he, he's in the hex quarters right next to one of our producers. The producer say, hey, actually hopped in on the call. He's like, no, nah, man. And I get it. Today was the announcement. I'm like, that son of a bitch. I fucking <laughs> need you on this call, man. Like, I need you right now, bro. I need you. He's, like, he's just like, nah, man, I'm too good for you. I ain't coming on that call. And I got pissed. And I, got, I was a little irritated. I was agitated at the time. It's all good now. But I was agitated at the time, of course. But, you know, that's, it is. Like, I, I, don't, I don't fanboy of him. I, I'm, not, I'm not a big fanboy of esports people. I just respected him. That was the difference. I just respected him. And I, I really did because he, he pioneered and brought all this to life. And I watched all of his videos and all that. It's cool. But when I first met him, dude, it was just like business as usual. I was like, yeah, what's up, Hex? First time I ever met him in my life was when he came to Chicago at one time and to look at some of these arenas. And it was just, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to fanboy over him. And I didn't. It was just like business. Business as usual. You, you'll, you have to do that. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, there are those people like you hear celebrities who meet their fans versus who they meet people that they like hang around with because they're just people. Right. And they they're treat humans. them like people. Right. Yeah. It's typical humans. It's just, you know, you have some fandom and, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Like, you know, I think there's very few people I think in this planet that I would like actually be awestruck if I met. Like there's, there's not a lot. Like even like your heroes that like, growing up and stuff like that, like there's, I'm not, I've never been a person that I feel like I'd be awestruck. I would literally just act like they're just another normal human being. It'd just be cool to meet them. Be like, oh, what's going on? But I, I, I've never understood people that just have this crazy freak out, like the Justin Bieber craze. People are like, oh my God, Justin Bieber. Like, nah, 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 nah. I was like, I don't get how people have that much fandom for you. And they're like literally getting tattoos of your face on you. 
Like I don't get it. And that's fine. That's, it's just not my thing. You know, it's their thing. Fine. But like, I've never been that way. Even, even to a guy that I looked up to for a long time in, in Hector, it's, it's, it's interesting. I'm just not built that way, I guess. No, I, I can, I can agree there. Right. Like uh, a huge fan of big timer joined green wall street. Motherfucker needs to learn to pay me for all the input I'm putting in there. But, um, run up a tab. you know, I, I what I said run up a tab. Oh God, man! I'll give him a good point for uh, jump starting the podcast with his followers as the first person on it. Like, I'll, I'll write off like a year of my input on there. God damn it, man! Yeah, no, but I, I treat Will as a person rather than big timer. And I have seen people in there who I feel have joined that chat room to just like straight up fake a trade, say they made ten grand, and get put on his Instagram story. Oh yeah, I hate people like that. There's a lot of a lot of those people in this world, <laughs> without a doubt. But I, I think that they're going to be there for a small time, and you're going to see that, and you have seen that with people who volunteer for your events, whatever you run. Not like there are any events in COVID, but. You know, you, you like you said, you had those people that wanted to just be there and meet <laughs> Seth and meet, like, Embos and Formal and everybody. And then you have the people that are like, yo, I'm going to do this, but I would like to meet them at some point if I get the opportunity to. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, it's now first time I met Big T was he came to our Chicago event that I was running for a meet and greet for all the Huntsman players. It was the first time I met him. And uh, he, he's just he, he came up to me, introduced himself. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm Will. Like, oh, what's up, bro? And I was like, yeah, how's Green Wall Street? And he's like, oh, it's going good. I'm like, well, I used to trade options. That's how I got into the, the Green Wall Street stuff, like, was me telling him, like, oh, yeah, I used to do that for a while. He's like, oh, shit, that's cool. It's just like a normal fucking conversation. It's, it's like, so, it's like, it's so weird. I've just, I feel like people that, like, just go fucking fanboy or whatever over things are just, they, they get, you just give off this weird vibe, right? No, and, yeah, you, you do at that point. And right? think, it's just, uh, I guess it's just different, I guess, in the, in the gaming space. Cause I, I don't, it's not, like even when we had that meet and greet where people are like seeing Seth and like they love Seth, Seth's their hero and shit. Like they were still respectful. They took a picture. It wasn't anything fucking creepy or weird. There's a couple, couple weirdos there that I had seen. <laughs> uh, and that guy, I'm like that, like you know, probably wrote some like love letter cards to him. But uh, other than that, you know, it's just just normal people that just like oh, I love him. I think it's interesting though. There's there, I think there's only like one person in the entire planet. He's he's no longer alive, and I, he died before I was even born. That if I ever did meet, I'd fucking fanboy over one person, and it's. Yeah. I bet you most people that are listening to this won't even know who the fuck he is. It's Jackie Gleason. Jackie, I don't Gleason, know who that is. Jackie Gleason is the only person that I would probably like be like, holy fucking shit, it's Jackie Gleason. Um, but you know, he died in in 1987 before I was even born, which is crazy to say that that's the person I would go crazy for. He was on this TV show in the 50s called The Honeymooners. And it was it ran for like literally like one season, but it's one of the funniest sitcoms of all time. Highly recommend everybody go watch it if you haven't. Um, and he's just this funny comedian guy. He played Ralph Cramd in this bus driver on the show, and he was hilarious. And me growing up, my dad was uh, he always made us watch old shit. Like we watched The Stooges and The Honeymooners and fucking Perry Mason and know all these old television shows um all the time and most of my friends now like i'll put them on they're like why the fuck are we watching this is black and white it sucks I'm like this is the best shows you'll ever see there's nothing that could compare to it so yeah jackie gleason from the honeymooners he's uh he's probably the only person i'd probably be like holy fuck 
fucking Jack Gleason. I guarantee you probably just Googled them too. And you're like, I've never even heard of this guy. I, I can promise you I've never heard of him and or seen <laughs> any of the shows he's been on. J- Jackie Gleason and Frank Sinatra. Those would be the only two. Uh, I got probably Brendan Urie. Okay. I never met him. Yeah, Panic of the Disco. Um, mainly because from, from the very start of, like, I write Sins Not Tragedies to now, I have truly listened to him from the beginning to now. He's and, got an incredible voice. One of the greatest voices yeah, I've ever heard. That is, that is vocal. It, I, I will vocal promise you this. Insane. If you ever get to see ever get to see him live, do it. I would. I like him. I like his live shows are better than his vocal like his recordings. Yeah, I'd give him I'd give him a listen. I'd I'd go see him. I liked Brennan. I like Panic of the Disco when I was growing up though. They're a good band. Uh, emo phases of high school, Joe. Emo Dude, phases. I had a, such a massive emo phase. Even my girlfriend now she's like I'll like put on like like We the Kings or I'll put on some like you know girly like what was considered girly emo pop punk music and she'll be like, "What the fuck is this?" And she like it went through like that phase too. And I was like, "I don't know." She's like, "She's like I've never met a guy that listens to like the girly shit, like the ones that girls used to go like all emo on." I'm like, "Hey, you know, it's just what I listen to. I don't know what you want me to tell you. It's all good. Like, of course, I listen to Blink and Sum Forty One and all of them too. I love them. I was like, but you know, there's some obscure uh, bands that I liked." Yo, I take offense to the We the Kings thing. Check yes, Juliet was like, yeah, We the Kings. Song. No, there's, there's, what's the other one that I uh, that I would, would, that would all time low, all time low would be another one. Mayday Parade, all Mayday Parade was probably the biggest one. I ever started singing Jersey. She just looked at me like, please don't, just don't do it. <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, I'd be like, all right, I no, understand. Uh, yeah, okay. no, I, I I get where you're coming from with this, and just just to wrap it all back, I don't want to keep uh. Yeah, we just took a, a wild right turn going down this uh this lane here. So look, look, look. It is a conversation. However, it goes, it goes. I will not be angry. I think there is a disgustingly large amount of valuable input, and for people who plan to go into esports or want to go into esports or anything along that lines, you got you got a lot to learn from this. And uh, this is like an early thing, and there is a bubble to pop, and when it happens, it'll happen. I think that um. You've done an amazing job explaining the aspects of um, what goes on behind the scenes, right? And how you view things versus how some other orgs may view things. Yeah. So uh, if there's anything else you want to talk about, I, I am down. I just know that, uh, Mr. I got to go off of California time because everybody else is out in California. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm in going. the East Coast and I work in the East Coast. And at 26 years old, if I don't get like six hours of sleep, I feel like I'm the crankiest uh, person dude, in the world. This is probably a, a good wrapping point for us. We'll probably have to do it at some point, a, a part two to all this anyway, because it was it was a good fun conversation. And uh, you know, you know, the I kind of want to do more of these just to kind of get better at them, to be honest too, because I have a tendency to just kind of ramble. But that's just who I am as a person, because I have a lot of passion for a lot of stuff that I talk about, and you know the esports side of things is always a lot more interesting than finance. Um, despite the fact that I love finance too, just because uh, it's, it's a challenge. You know, I would say trading options is a lot more challenging than what my current job is right now. That I will say 110%. Well, 
Trading is the best game in the world. So you get to beat literal billionaires. Literally an addiction, and you're like a degenerate gambler. Like, that's how I look at no, it. Just- do not say that I am not a degenerate gambler. <laughs> when I go into a casino, I don't gamble. I go in there expecting to lose a few hundred, and that is it. I don't See? go in there with my life but, saving. But but you'll go into a mar- you'll go into a trade on the stock market where you're dumping five G's into something. So think about five that. G's? Please. Oh, you're going higher. You're going 10, 20, 30,000? What? Uh so yesterday I had my biggest day of all time. Yeah. Uh, hit five figures, 10K in a day. There you go. Uh there was a point where I was probably thirty thousand dollars into a trade. See? And yet you won't go spend two hundred and two hundred dollars at the casino. But the reason why is because I have statistics on my better. side. Damn it. Your odds are better on the stock market because you understand how it works. <laughs> I have statistics on my side. Yeah. I know if I go to a casino, statistically, they're making 51 cents to 53 cents on every dollar I spend versus my odds of winning the trades that I was taking was 80 plus percent. And my risk was only 20 cents. Exactly. That's why trading so. is better. But you're still a general gambler. Just never forget. That. I hate you, Joe. I hate you. <laughs> but yeah, this was fun. I appreciate the time for sure, man. Um, thanks for inviting. No, me. I, I actually, there's a. I want to get you back on, and with, if possible, one of another um, person in NRG going over more of the sales, marketing, and um, merch side of things. Yeah, I could see who would want to come on. If there's anybody that, honest to God, just what I, what, I would, about it. what I think would be great that I would love to do if we can even swing it. I'd love to get one with Big T, you, me, Big T, or you, me, MC, and Big T. I think that'd be dope. I feel like I'm down for that. I would happily if, if, if swing you can, for that. If you can get Big T to and 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 Flame to to come on, and we could do like a tr- like a trio and just bullshit and talk about esports something like that I think that would be um, that'd be a lot of fun and. You know, maybe we can all have, I'm gonna have to start breaks. another podcast with all this shit. <laughs> yeah. Started off financial, financial freedom. freedom and then we, we, we turned this into a massive uh, esports talk. But, you know, it just to, to wrap it on, on my end, like the, the cool thing is about esports and where I've gone is, you know, I do get paid well to do my job. And it, it does allow me to, you know, have a lot more freedom than I did previously. Like I spent like four or five years of my life trying to figure out at one where I was paycheck to paycheck. Right. And, you know, the good thing about learning options in the stock market is it, it teaches you a lot. And, um, you know, it's, it's a good way to make money on the side if you know what you're doing. It's also a good way to lose money on the side if you don't know what the fuck you're doing. Um, but, you know, to find a passion inside esports and, you know, being able to do that every day and then trade on the side when I have some time is like, you know, I, is, I couldn't ask for anything better. And it, it, it's really set me up to, for me and my family, you know, to, to kind of live the life that we want going forward. And, you know, we're not quite, I'm not a hundred percent where I'd want to be because that's just how I am. I don't think I'm ever going to be where I want to be in life uh, financially, but you know, it's, I'm doing much better than I would say probably 90% of the people my age. And you know, I feel fortunate for that. Well, and that, that's like the idea and why I wanted to get you on here is you want your director of a tier one org, but, and, and you're going to have a lot of influence and understanding of not that yeah, you have influence, but you're going to have more understanding of what goes on behind the scenes, but it, in my mind, financial freedom has been and always will be. You don't hate what you're doing, and you get paid enough to be able to do it and live a comfortable life outside of doing it. Absolutely, that's a hundred percent what it is. You have a large passion for esports and gaming. You have a seemingly comfortable life in a relatively expensive city, mind you. Chicago <laughs> is not cheap. 
That's why I live I in the burbs, baby. It's why you live in the burbs. <laughs> um, either way, you're able to live a seemingly comfortable life doing something you love. And that is financial freedom. It does not mean you don't have to work. There are people that don't want to work, a.k.a. me. But if you have a job you love, there's no reason to not be considered financially free. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. It's a, it's a good way to look at it, too, because a lot of people be like, oh, financially free means I can have enough money to live off for the rest of my life. I'm like, yeah, that's just not realistic. I mean, especially at my age, unless I, you know, just was, I thought I was a better options trader, maybe. But, you know, where I'm at now, it's like. Size in, Joe. Size in. Yeah, I got to size in. Tell you what, that's what I'm going to do for everybody that's listening. Uh, you won't hear it, but tomorrow I'm going to dump everything into the to a spy call, a weekly spy call. I'm going to put my entire account in it, and I'm going to trade it. At, I'm going to close the trade at the end of the day, and I'm going to make my millions, and then you're never going to hear from me again. The fuck is the spy at? Spy wake back heavy today. Fuck that. Dude, I hate this market. We have to have a whole other podcast about how this market sucks. Blast. I will happily bitch about this market. <laughs> yeah. Like just, just everyone that's listening, go back to Friday, November sixth, and go look at Monday, November 9th and look at that fucking jump and tell me how that makes any sense. <laughs> you, you, you want to talk about that jump? Yeah. Ugh, such a bad candle. Oh, that is that is a gap up and shit the bed moment. Yep. Oh, yeah. Insane. That's how it works. So. Ugh. And I, I guarantee you, I know there. I can tell you, thousands of people bought the top. Traders, not investors. Traders bought that top. Oh, hundred percent. So hundred percent when they bought the top. That's how it always works. I mean, shit. You remember that rally back in the summer that everyone was just skyrocketing, and there was no hedge fund money in it. No <laughs> what, you and me bitching about retail <laughs> traders buying. Everyone's just buying everything, and I'm just like, what the fuck are you guys doing? And they're making money off it, thinking it's easy. I'm like, you guys are gonna get squashed, but. Gotta save that for another day. I gotta, gotta, we gotta we'll save wrap. it. We'll, we'll save it. I'll have you back on. I, I'll, I'll get Big T and Mike on, and uh, one day if I ever become large enough, I'd love to have a conversation with you, Andy, and Hector. We could probably make a make that happen at some point. Um, there, there, Hector. I think like because of his own podcast and other stuff, he's probably podcasted out. Andy's like always willing to do anything. Uh, if the podcast. Oh my God. I'd love to. I, one, so, I want to talk to Andy about his like actual business like that. He sold. If you keep growing the pod and get it bigger, Andy would happily probably get come on the pod. To be honest, he, he loves this type of shit. So, cause like, holy shit. Like one of the things I want to do is talk to people who own and have sold businesses. Like, yo, you went into debt to make a business. I don't process that. Yeah. It's crazy. So, but you, you motherfucker, you took a jump into a unknown job in, in the aspect of a very early on, like, bubble, not bubble, what do I want to call it? Industry. And, like, that's terrifying for me. Like, I think esports is huge. There's no data behind esports that's going to be big in the future. Yeah, it, it's, this industry is just going to fucking explode. Like even even when I say that. it's going to be in a bubble, like it's show gonna, me show me the data of like history saying that esports is going to blow. 
There's, it, there's not enough data to make me feel comfortable. No, it, it's it's interesting. Like I say, it's a bubble. Other people say there's no bubble. People say it's going to grow by X amount. Other people say it's going to grow a smaller amount than that. Some people say it's going to go bigger than that. Like one thing is, no one really knows, right? It, it's it's much more difficult to figure it out because it's a new industry that people are pioneering. I say it's a bubble because I just know some people that are in management in some of these orgs, and no offense to them, they don't know how to manage capital. So eventually, they're going to run out of money, and when they run out of money, what happens? Like. Just, just wait. You'll start to see a lot of people start to sell off teams in the Overwatch League in the near future, I think, and see some other orgs shutting down or merging with other orgs because they don't have any more cash. Um, it'll be, it's, it's an interesting thing to watch. And for people that love money like me and, and love to see how it works and operates for you, you there's going to be a ton of lessons on what not to do, like, and more so, how to blow fifty to seventy-five million dollars. Uh, that's insane. So. I'm going to end it there just because that's a very large number. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, Joe, I want to thank you for coming on. Absolutely. I plan to have you on a few more times talking about more in-depth in esports business, more in-depth in mar- er, and options and the market, stock market overall, and then love to have like a group of people inside a industry on. Absolutely. And, uh, Happy to I do think, it. Because I think this is just, like you said, it's a it's a booming industry and it's going to get bigger. While I say there's no data behind it, uh, it's no data because it's so new. People didn't think oh, the NFL 100%. was going to be as big as the NFL is. Exactly. So, but yeah, so, thank you for, uh, for having me. I appreciate it. We'll, uh, we'll do this again soon. Yes, sir. And then uh, we'll keep in contact, of course. Of course. Uh, just got to say, go Pens, go Pens, go Pens. Thank you, everyone, for coming on. Thank you for listening. This is Jarrett. This is the Hot Resume. Have a good one. Bye. Go pens. <laughs>